It's really great to be here. Hello, internet listeners. Um, <laughs> happy Independence Day to our American friends. I thought it was really awesome when Will Smith saved us from the aliens. Um, tonight we're looking at a passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter in the Bible. Uh, it was written by a guy called Paul to a church in a place called Corinth. Uh, we've been working through it for a few weeks now. And uh, we've got to uh, pretty much the middle of the letter. And uh, I'd love to say it was the most crucial point, and that's not true. But um, we have so far looked at quite a lot of different things. We've looked at the vision in the church. We've looked at um, discipline, like having to deal with some really difficult issues um, in the church. And tonight we move on... Um, from, from last week, we looked at um, marriage and celibacy over the past couple of weeks. Those were things that concerned um, the, the church in Corinth, the people there. And tonight we move on to, to something else that they're concerned about, something else that um, they're not sure about. And uh, they've obviously written to Paul and asked him some questions, and he's uh, responding to that. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 8. And uh, just to help you remember uh, what that's about, it's what some Corinthians ate. So it's about food. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, humble pie tonight. That's the title of tonight's sermon, P-I-E. We're going to have three main points, each beginning with one of those letters. So let's turn to... I know, exciting, isn't it? <laughs> To old school sermons. All right, um, so uh, let's turn now to 1 Corinthians 8, and I'm going to read it. The, um, the church in Corinth uh, probably would have heard it read. The letters were read aloud um, to people, so this is uh, just like it was then. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now, if uh, you're looking in your Bibles, you might see there's uh, quotation marks. When I first looked at that, I thought it was a bit Austin Powers. It's a bit, all of us possess knowledge. Um, the, uh, uh, he's doing this. What, what's that about? Well, that's probably the thing that they've written to Paul and he's now replying to. So this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed." the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If you're going to take one key point from today, if you're going to listen for just two minutes, it's this. The gospel of Jesus Christ radically changes lives and continues to change lives. And by lives, what Paul is talking about and what I'm talking about tonight is your whole life, your mind, your body, your heart, your spirit, your soul, everything interwoven. And this Corinthian question, this thing about idle meat, what's that about? Well, it's because their physicality is interlinked with their spirituality. Why, why are they so concerned about what they're eating? Well, I'm going to start with our, our first point, the P of pie, and that's paganism. And um, I want to start by telling a story. There's, uh, there's a guy in South London called the History Man, and he's utterly cap- captivating. I love the History Man. He comes to my school and takes history lessons um, for the children, and I'm just sat there going, wow, what a great teacher. So I want to uh, give you a history lesson in the style of the History Man. The, uh, so this is first century AD, and I'm a pagan. I'm living in Corinth, and... Sorry? Stoning. Uh, no, I've still got a sermon to do. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm a pagan. It's first century AD. Corinth. Um, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to worship uh, one of the pagan gods. Maybe Apollo. Maybe Venus. God of love. Maybe uh, even the Roman emperor or their family at the time. This is the kind of thing they did. How would I uh, worship um, one of these gods. Well, what I do is I take um, one of my goats, um, one of um, my animals from a farm, and I will drag it with me to the temple. And I come to the temple to worship and my pagan god. The goat is killed, it's sacrificed, and this is part of my, my worship to, to the god, to appease uh, the god and to ask the gods for their blessing uh, to me to bless what I'm doing. And you can imagine, actually, that this goat, this lovely piece of meat, well, we sacrificed that, we've burned that up, that was a great barbecue. And so now I've got some lovely cooked meat. If I just go around the corner of my temple, there's a restaurant here, how convenient. And uh, I can eat some of my lovely cooked goats. Uh, again, in, as part of my worship uh, of the gods, I'm satisfying uh, my my desires for eating meat. And if there's any more meat left over, the priests will then take that to the local marketplace and they will sell it there. So if you go to local markets, you might be buying idle meat, you might be buying some other kind of meat. That's uh, what would happen. Now, um, after I've, I've sacrificed my animal, I've eaten some of it, I might go again around the back of the temple and meet some young boys or girls, prostitutes, essentially, and for a little bit of money, they would satisfy me sexually. And I've had a brilliant day. I've had my meal. I feel good about myself. I've got my blessing from the God. Everything's going my way. What paganism is really about 
is about me and my desire satisfying me. Now, what I want you to imagine, first century AD, is that this guy Paul comes along to preach the gospel. Now first, what he does, uh, we've learned this already in this series, he goes to the synagogue, to the Jewish synagogue, he preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it falls on deaf ears, they're not really interested. He then goes next door to a house there and starts something of some kind of house church, and uh, people start gathering there, they start uh, believing this good news of Jesus, and this is the eye of the pie, this is the invitation and um, many people I find increasingly, um, even in Christian circles, are getting very confused about the gospel. We can get some clarity by just flicking a few pages and turning to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where Paul reminds them of the gospel. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's uh, Peter, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is about Jesus' death, uh, dying for our sin, his resurrection. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ died for sins, once for all. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the ultimate goat uh, dying for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. That means the, essentially the good for the bad. That's us. We're bad. We're sinful. We've rebelled against God to bring us to God. That's what the gospel is about. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. If you hear anything else, that's not right. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's good news. It's about his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection. And what this message asks us to do is to repent. Um, Does anyone here speak French or Spanish? Hands up. Um, What's the verb ponce in French? To think. Okay. So if I uh, re-ponce, if I repent... What am I doing? I'm rethinking. To uh, repent means to, to literally turn around, to change from my old life, that w- which was pagan, that was really about worshipping myself, and to change to worship Jesus. And as I walk uh, with Jesus, I'm going to have to constantly have my mind uh, renewed, to have things constantly changing. It's about a radical change. As I said, the key point today is the gospel of Jesus radically changes lives from the old to the new, from the sinful to following uh, Jesus and every day becoming more like him. If I could summarise the gospel in the smallest possible way, it would be this. The difference is apostrophe S. I go from I am the Lord to I am the Lord's. 
I now belong to Jesus. And this is what exactly what happened here in Corinth. Uh, these pagans um, have, for some reason, heard this gospel, this good news, and however foolish it sounds, and they're an intellectual bunch, however foolish it sounds, they decide to change their lives and follow him. And that means their physicality, their spirituality, everything. And this is where the tension arises. <laughs> you see, you've then got two types of Christians in Corinth. The first group are continuing to eat in the pagan temples. So um, as far as they're concerned, if you uh, look in verses 1, 4 and 6 of, of 1 Corinthians 8, they're, they're saying we've got this knowledge. We know that these, these gods, these idols don't really exist. Um, in fact, we know that there's one God and the Father and one Lord Jesus Christ. We know the earth is the Lord. Everything's in it. And, um, and therefore, we can eat whatever we like. Uh, we can keep going to the temple. We can keep going to the market. We can keep eating the idol meat because they're not real idols. So it's just meat and I'm hungry. And uh, they also know that uh, the food doesn't commend you to God. Whatever you eat or don't eat um, doesn't actually affect your relationship with God in that way. It's Jesus that commends us to God. He's the perfect sacrifice. And they say that they've got this knowledge. Now, the second group, the second type of Christians, now, they're really struggling with that. In fact, he says that their, their conscience is weak. And, and what that is, is that they just even smelling that meat or tasting that meat or going to the pagan temple, going to the market, just doing that reminds them of their old life. It reminds them of the P, the paganism. It reminds them of when they were all about themselves. It reminds them about when they, they worshipped Apollo. It reminds them of all the debauchery and pride that they were involved with. It, in fact, it would really start to play on their minds the sexual sin that they were caught in. So you've got this first group who, quite rightly, in really good theology here, they, they're saying, well, we can, we can eat all this stuff. And they're saying to the second group, well, look, we, you know, there's, these idols don't really exist, so we can eat that. And the second group are actually really struggling. Now, throughout um, this letter, and what we've seen and what we're going to see a bit more of, I think, is Paul developing this principle. In chapters uh, 6 and 10 that sit either side of this passage. He says all things are lawful or permissible, but not everything is beneficial or helpful. So essentially what he's saying is this. The knowledge is, is right. The knowledge is there, but it's, it's regulated by something greater than this knowledge. The thing that it's regulated by is love. In verse 1, i just pick that up again. I think it's on the sheets if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, we've uh, hit this phrase, puffed up, quite a few times in this letter. What does 
What does that mean? Well, it's kind of a bit like, uh, you know, sometimes we say someone's walking with their, their chest all puffed up. That it's about their pride. It's about arrogance. So they've got this knowledge and they're going, I can eat all the meat. We can all eat this meat. But in, instead, Paul says that what we should do is build up in love. And this is where we get to the E of the pie. And this is where we're going to sit for the rest of the sermon. E is for everyone else. Uh, now, at work the other day, a friend of mine uh, came up to me and he was like, so Matt, uh, are you a strong Christian? Um, I don't know. Do you want to arm wrestle? Um, <laughs> you see, um, there's, for some reason, people think that there's different kind of levels of, of Christianity, of following a God. And to a certain extent, um, there can be things that we are uh, strong on and things that we are weak on. I'll just give you some examples. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a, a pagan Latvian uh, festival. Um, I called it Research. And um, basically, it was for summer solstice, for the longest day of the summer. They build a really big fire. Everyone gets very drunk and tries to jump over the fire, stay up all night, and, um, and to, to try and bless their, their crops. And they do lots of dances and things. Um, and I went uh, with, with some friends. I had a really good time. And um, uh, for me, it wasn't uh, a, a stumbling block. Um, I wasn't at all tempted to, to worship uh, the sun or fire or um, any uh, pagan gods. Um, it's not uh, an issue for me at all. And I had a, a couple of beers and I was able to stop after that. I wasn't tempted to get drunk. That's something that I'm strong on. Now, a couple of years ago, I was in, in Reading, uh, my hometown where I grew up. And I bumped into a friend, an old friend, hadn't seen each other in ages. And it was all, oh, hello, yeah, hi, how's it going? Let's, let's grab a coffee, let's catch up. Um, and she was like, yeah, that, that's great. I just got to do a bit of shopping first. Uh, is that cool with you? Yeah, uh, that's cool with, cool with me. Um, I don't mind a, a bit of shopping. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, just... One, one thing, would you mind if we didn't go around the lingerie department? Um, but I'm going to have problems with that because that's just going to lead my mind um, down a path I don't want to go down. And um, so we went shopping and we looked at lots of clothes and I was very good at looking interested. And, uh, but um, you see, that was an, an area that I'm week on and that's something uh, that I know a lot of guys struggle with and what um, Paul was saying in this letter he's saying that if you're causing your your brother or your sister to stumble because of their weak conscience because of things that uh, they they're weak on what you actually do uh, verse 11 is you destroy them he he doesn't mince his words here he he says destroy now what does that word mean? Uh, one theologian says this, it brings spiritual disaster to that person. This is really um, serious stuff. And in, in studying this, I actually um, felt incredibly convicted um, by the Spirit. By that I mean that um, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just started to make me aware of, of, of times when I've really stuffed up on this. 
You see, I know that um, increasingly as I've, I've grown up and, and grown in, in faith and in, in leadership, that various people have come to me and, and look up to me. And um, sometimes uh, I'm very much in, in the first group. I'm all about grace. I'm all about we can do all these great things. And I don't often think about other people. And sometimes I think I've probably... Uh, in fact, I know uh, that I've caused people to stumble. And um, just to say tonight, if you're one of those people, I'm really sorry if I've done that. Because what I want to do is I want to repent um, of that. I want to uh, be changed. I want to, to stop doing that. And actually to be a really good uh, leader and a good um, follower of Jesus. And I'm uh, repenting. I'm choosing to live a radically changed life. And now this morning I, I was talking about this and I then went on to say that uh, at lunchtime what I would do um, is that I would give up uh, eating meat for lunch today and I would invite all the vegetarians in the church round um, and, and it worked. Uh, they came round and uh, we ate um, vegetarian food um, because uh, I, what I wanted to say to these guys is that, um, that I love them and, and actually I'm, I'm quite happy to put aside meat um, now, there was, there was two problems with that this afternoon. Um, see, I've chosen to, di- to, to cook some, uh, some vegetarian pizzas, and then uh, my parents came along to join us for lunch. I forgot my mum doesn't like pizza, uh, so I then had to cook some bacon sandwiches for my mum. <laughs> it started to get a bit complicated, because like, I was doing that for those people and that for her. And then I was like, right, let's all sit down, let's watch Wimbledon final. I love tennis, and I was so excited about the Wimbledon final. And then uh, halfway through that, uh, one or two people who came around, well, they didn't really like Wimbledon. They don't really like tennis. In fact, what they wanted to do was go into the kitchen and, and have a chat with me. Um, and, and so I had to sacrifice watching Wimbledon uh, in order to love in order to love them. You see, um, we can think that we've suddenly got it. We've understood God's love. But, you know, his love is so much bigger and he's going to keep asking us. You see, he doesn't want us to be puffed up um, with this knowledge, but rather he wants us to build up in love. If you uh, look at the Greek word for build up, it's uh, oikodome. Is that right, Bob? Thanks, Bob. And um, what, uh, what that, I think it's a beautiful word because it starts with oik. And uh, what, that, what that word means is it's about um, actual buildings. It's about erecting uh, buildings. And um, it uses this, this phrase again in 1 Corinthians 14 when we talk about uh, worship. We're going to look at that in a few weeks' time. And um, that's actually part of our worship to God is, is seeking to build up one another. Because you see, the, the kind of the whole puffed up knowledge thing, it doesn't build anyone up. It actually causes people to stumble. Um, I was thinking about this, and, and to take the analogy a little further, if you're puffing something up, you're only going to make a bouncy castle. But if you're, you're building up, you, you make a, a real building. Yeah. That's what um, the, the church we should be like. Not a, a physical building, but we should be building uh, one another up in the Lord. And our worship is, is about knowing God. This is an, another phrase you, you'll see in this, this passage. It's, it's beautiful. It, 
it says this in verse 3. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. What, what's that about? Well, what he's saying is not this kind of knowledge, not the kind of sound theology and all your theological degrees from Oxford, as wonderful as they may be. True knowledge is actually knowing God and being known by him. That's the best kind of knowledge you can ever have. And, um, you know, what, what, does, what does it really mean to know someone? You see, um, for example, I, I know a lot about Angelina Jolie. I've uh, seen many of her films, however terrible they are. And um, because I read the newspapers, I've got to know lots of things about her. But I haven't yet got to know her. I don't know Angelina Jolie, and I certainly don't know her in the way Brad Pitt knows her. You see, um, God's knowledge of us and our knowledge of him, it demands intimacy. It's, it's that kind of thing. And when we have that in our worship, when you come to that, when you've been saved out of your old life to your new life, to bring you to God, that's what it's about. It's about a relationship with the King, Jesus Christ. And at the same time, as well as worshipping Jesus, we come to to build up one another, to oik one another. In fact, today I'm, I'm hoping to oik um, some of you just by, by teaching, by bringing uh, these words. I pray that um, it actually will help you in your work with Jesus, that it will actually help you to become um, more like him. Yeah. How does this, uh, this principle of building up in love, when love regulates this knowledge, how does that work in the 21st century? I think in the West, in the church, in this country, for a lot of new believers, what they do is they, they tend to say, well, can I do this? Now I'm, a, now I'm a Christian, it's can I do this? Can I do that? And I've got a list here, some examples. And you could say they're modern examples of the, the Corinthian church, what they were saying. So for example, I'm out on a Friday night, I'm on my way home, and I see the kebab van. Now, um, the kebab van's got a little sticker on it that says, Halal meat. Is that meat sacrificed to idols or not? Like, can I eat that, can I eat that kebab? The answer is a resounding Barack Obama-style, yes, we can. Praise the Lord, <laughs> we can eat kebabs. Um, I had a, I just got to share this with you. I was in Poland um, a month ago. I had the most amazing kebab. Um, over there, they, they don't do the flimsy pita bread ones. They get a, a whole, like, half a loaf of bread and ch- sort of cut it in half, stuff in the kebab meat, and then they squish it in a, um, in like a panini thing, and nothing spills anywhere. We could learn a lot from uh, the, uh, Polish. Uh, anyway, another um, can I question. Can I drink alcohol? Uh, can I even drink um, the one that's named after the Hindu god, uh, Brahma? Um, yes, we can. Uh, can I get a tattoo? Yes, we can, if it's good, a good tattoo. Um, <laughs> can, can I smoke cigarettes? Yes, we can. Um, can I watch this? Can I dance to that? Can I go to this country? Can I play uh, this 
particular sport can I listen to that? Last night I was in Ronnie Scott's jazz club. It was freaking amazing. This guy on the drums. Yes, we can. You can enjoy it. You're allowed. It's okay. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. If it hinders your relationship with God, your walk with Jesus, or if it hinders someone else's walk with Jesus, well then actually the question changes from can I do this to should I do this? You see, there's going to be occasions when you have to say no to some things. You have to say no. However free you are in Christ to do things, you have to choose to say no out of love. This is a a principle I want us to really grab hold of. You see, there's going to be more and more times when you have to give things up for other people, when you have to put them first. In another way of saying this, it's self-sacrifice. Rather than your old life, the the pagan life, where it was all about your self-desire, your lust, the the things that pleased you and blessed you, self-sacrifice is putting others first. It's about seeking what's best for them. Here's an example. Imagine that there's somebody who, who loves nightclubbing and they go out every weekend they save up all their money throughout the week it's all they talk about at work they go and party hard in the clubs they're abusing drugs drinking way too much um, engaging in lots of of sexual debauchery and and actually worshipping even the, the DJs of the club it's all about the, the biggest names uh, the latest style of music and they're obsessed uh, with that in fact that's what they're about their worship is that well imagine if that person amazingly hears the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ they decide to turn away from their old life start walking a new life with Jesus now the following week um, Adam Utting's running his club night and a load of us Christians uh, are going to go there because it's a great night Um, this person, this new convert to Jesus Christ, it might not actually be a good idea for them to come clubbing. Why? Because even the sound of that music reminds them of their old life. It reminds them of their sin and their shame and all the things that Jesus took away on the cross. In fact, it might be a better idea for that person to have a night in and I happily will stay in and read the Bible with them and chat and drink coffee and watch films or whatever we choose to do. You see, it's all about love. We can look ahead. We can fast forward to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul really tells us what love's about. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for whoever's uh, preaching Uh, that week. Instead, what I'm going to do is rewind and just take us back to the Gospels. If uh, you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is the blessed 
the best place to find out about Jesus. You look at Matthew, Mark, Luke or John and you must keep coming back to the Gospels. You must keep reading them. They're so important. You see, nowhere is the self-sacrificing love seen more clearly than in Jesus Christ. Nowhere at all. You can look at other holy texts. You can read the latest philosophy. Uh, You can watch all the most loving, endearing films and beautiful paintings and love poetry. You will not find anything like Jesus Christ. I'm just going to reel off a few stories that hit me. Matthew 14 and 15, Jesus feeds 5,000 and then later on 4,000. Why? Because he had compassion on them. He saw hungry people and he wanted to feed them, not just with food, but with his words. He was preaching to them. And he'd been preaching and teaching for days. If anyone was hungry, if anyone deserved a good meal of of fish and bread, it was Jesus. But instead, he puts others first. And he says, don't send them away. Let's feed them. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. We see this throughout the Gospels. He's constantly healing people. He's casting out demons. Mark 9, he heals a boy of an unclean spirit. And his, his father actually says, he pleads with Jesus, have compassion on him. And Jesus does it. He has compassion. He has this self-sacrifice in love towards them. In Luke 8, he raises a man's daughter from the from the dead. In John 13, Jesus, one of my favourite stories, instead of calling the disciples, his followers, to kneel down and worship him, he kneels down at their feet and washes their feet clean. He's the ultimate servant. He's totally self-sacrificing. He's always putting others first. He said that we should lay down our lives for our friends. And nowhere is this more clear than on the cross. When Jesus is hanging, dying on the cross, taking our place, he looks at his mother and one of his followers, John, and he says to John, here is my mother. Will you, will you look after her? Here is your mother. Will you look after her? And he says to Mary, his mother, will you look after John? Here is your son. In his agony, in his torture, the pain on the cross, he's still thinking of them. He's still thinking of us. If you've never heard the gospel before, never heard this message, I want you to know that he was thinking of you. And in his resurrection, in being raised from the dead, He has victory over sin and death. And he chooses then to forgive his disciples of their doubts and denials, of all the the things that they, they rejected him. And he calls them instead to follow him. And they do it. And it's amazing. I've been a Christian now for about 18 years. And I I have to tell you, I've just not looked back. It's been amazing. God's grace on my life. Is, just blows me away. It's such an adventure. And it seems to become more and more of a wonderful adventure every day. So shall we worship him? And by that, I don't mean let's just sing songs. Okay, the singing songs is great. 
I'm not putting that down. But our worship to him takes more than singing songs. You see, it's about our radically changed lives. It's about living a life with him. It's about, as Steph said earlier, about giving him our money because it's, it's his. We're giving him what he is due. It's about getting involved with what he's about. And it's about loving others more than we love ourselves. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to just join back again, sing some songs and we're going to come to this table and take the bread and take the wine in remembrance of him, in remembrance of what he's done at the cross. If you're a believer, you're totally welcome to come and do this. If, if you're not yet a believer, please just leave it aside. And if for the first time you're choosing to follow this Jesus, then please come and take communion for the first time tonight. I'm just going to pray now.